Hi there, I'm Jim. And I'm David. Let's talk teaching. Welcome to Let's Talk Teaching, a podcast from the Center for Integrated Professional Development here at Illinois State University. I'm Jim G. Joining me once again, David Giovanoli. We talked in our previous episode that we did about a couple different hats that you wear, and one that we wanted to come back and talk about was the work that you do with graduate students and specifically graduate teaching assistants on campus. I think a lot of folks don't realize that in addition to supporting faculty and academic staff, we also support graduate students in their professional development, especially where teaching and learning comes in. So... We just wanted to record a really quick little episode about that. And I wanted to start out by asking you, you're someone who has a long history as a graduate teaching assistant. Yes. Um, I used to do it too, but I came back when I was, you know, I was like 38 years old when I was a full-time graduate student again. You've been doing it longer because you were working on a PhD in addition Mm -hmm. to the master's degree. So tell me, what are some of the challenges that you find that new graduate teaching assistants run into? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, And so... I guess I'll preface this by saying that I have observed some trends with graduate assistants and I have my own experience. This might not be universally applicable. And Mm so here at Illinois State, we're a a pretty big doctoral granting university. Most of our graduate assistants are master's students. There are a handful of PhD programs. I think there are seven or eight PhD programs. Biology has a lot of graduate teaching assistants and English has a lot. So some of these things I've observed, they, they vary between program to program, but I guess where I'd start is that when we don't have formal training in teaching, we tend to do what our teachers did. And Mm -hmm. so we'll often do what our favorite teachers did. And so one of the things that I like to remind other students, as I'm I'm still finishing my PhD also, is that we are not our students. Um, And so the things that we like, the things that work for us, as graduate students um, might not work for our students. For instance, we are in you know the top, what, 5% mm-hmm. um, if you're a master's student or 1% if you're a PhD student in terms of your education level. And so ed- higher education worked for you. Like you really, you yeah. ho- probably liked college if you're wanting to stick around and teach. For instance, I was a classics major. I studied Latin and Greek, and that involves a lot of like, that involves a lot of individual studying, like vocab learning, flashcards things like that, mm-hmm. and and note-taking and reading. And that worked for me sometimes better in some semesters when I was more focused. Uh, but that might not work for every ISU student, for instance. And so that's when you take a step back and ask yourself, why am I doing this thing in the classroom? Like, mm-hmm. am I doing it just because that's what I've seen um, happen? I um, mean, so that's one of the purposes of this unit here within the center is is thinking about scholarly teaching, which is thinking about your teaching the same way you think about your research, your scholarship, like Mm -hmm. looking for what evidence-informed practices can I do. And so obviously, I think in your first semester, you're going to do some things that are necessary for your survival. For instance, like you're, you're starting in grad school, you've got a limited amount of time to prepare your syllabus, you might only have you know, a few days before the semester. Mm -hmm. Um, In English, we have a a week-long orientation, but that's not across campus. And Mm -hmm. so letting that first semester be a learning experience and then sort of being open after that to adjusting your practice. Um, Because I think the trap can be, well, this didn't work but it worked for me, so I just need a different group of students, and then, right, and right. then it'll start yeah. working. Right, and, and I think, you know, you, you were very deliberate when you said evidence-informed practice. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the phrase that often was thrown around 
I think more commonly in the past was best practices. Right. Best right. for whom? Yes. Best for your students or best for you? Because as you said, maybe that's what your favorite teacher had, had done. Mm-hmm. Do graduate teaching assistants coming in, do you find that there's a, a problem with age, that they are closer to age to the students that they're teaching? Does well, from what I've observed, basically, I found the closer a grad assistant is to the age of their students, the more likely they are choosing authoritarian teaching practices. In other uh, words, they're overcompensating a little bit. Right. Like, I need to perform, I need to show you that I'm an authority figure, even though I'm close to your age. Yeah. Ergo, I'm yeah. going to perform the expert. And so there's nothing wrong um, with, you know, top-down teaching practices in, in some circumstances. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with lecture or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's... Um, I sort of see a, an inflexibility with with syllabi and things like that. Like this regulation, I will make no exceptions for. Yeah. I don't see too often, like you you might imagine, like sort of the the buddy buddy thing that might emerge because somebody's close to the same age of their student. I just I haven't seen that as much, or it's not yeah. been reported to me as much. Maybe the people who are taking my programs don't want to report things yeah, like that. Right. But I have seen it. I've seen it go a lot of different ways. Like. Because it can also happen that if you've been in the industry for a while and come back to teach, mm-hmm. um, you might be used to a certain amount of you know self direction um, sure. with things. Or well, why should I have to explain this this process yeah. to you? Yeah. Um, and I think that the transition from undergrad to graduate school is almost as I'm going to say severe, but almost as difficult to manage as going from high school to college. Mm-hmm. Even though it's the same institution, just the level of complexity of your courses increases, the specificity increases. And so you're managing that transition at the same time you're managing being behind the lectern or in front of the classroom instead of just in the class. So so in other words, graduate teaching assistants are also very busy people. Yes, yes. And so figuring out that a strategy your professor used might have worked differently. For instance, if you went to a college where faculty taught a 2-2, meaning they taught two courses in one semester and two in another, so four total a year, and they had time to grade 20-page essays from eight students in their class. But if you're also a GTA and teaching 28 students or 30 students in a gen ed class, then um, scaling teaching practices to your situation. And that's why what you say, you know, evidence-based practice, not best practice, because it, it varies. Right. Also, just as a side note, I would be gobsmacked if there were a lot of faculty members teaching a two-two load on our at our right. institution. Per, I think it's more than that. Not, yeah. not at ISU. Yeah. I, I went to yeah. a, a liberal arts college. Sure. Though, so, sure. so, so sure. You, you're so you have been working for a long time on the programming, and when we say programming, we mean the workshops, the consultations, the curriculum that we create for graduate students who take who take advantage of our services here at the center. And that's really come to the fore since you joined us as a, as a full-time employee last, whenever it was. April. April. Okay. Well, congratulations. Thank By the you. way, we didn't say your official title is Coordinator for Scholarly Teaching and Learning, which right. is exactly what you're talking about. So you've kind of scaffolded, if I'm using that word correctly, sort of different things to meet different needs for graduate assistants. So, right. so can you talk a little bit about what we offer and what just on the surface, at least, what students would get out of it. Right. And so the majority of this programming was, you know, co-developed with Ju- Dr. Julie McFan when mm-hmm. she was here. She uh, is mm-hmm. happy in her retirement in California now. And yes. so I was walking around outside and jealous of her, her weather, I think, today. <laughs> but uh, there are two certificates of completion that are available asynchronously, meaning you can do them on your at your own pace through ReggieNet. If you're a grad student now at ISC, you are already on that ReggieNet, uh, whether you want to be or not, because yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's the, the graduate school's resource page. Right. Uh, the first of the two certificate programs is called 
college teaching for future faculty. Mm -hmm. And so it is meant to be a broad introduction to evidence-based teaching practices using our framework for inclusive teaching excellence, which I believe has been the subject of a few of these podcast episodes. It has. Past. And we will, as always, this is the point where I say we'll link to all of that on the show page for today's episode. So, yes. Right. Uh, and so that framework is divided into six dimensions, um, mm -hmm. which are not saying that, you know, teaching is segmented into different areas, but that you can approach teaching thematically through, for instance, science of learning is one. So that's exploring how the brain works in mm -hmm. relation to how people learn. And mm -hmm. course design is about course design. And, and I've always seen that kind of almost as a recipe in that, or that's a list of ingredients. And, and they may be in different proportion to them. You may not be approaching it almost at, at all science of learning, but anything that you do that is inclusive is going to recognize that we're human beings and our brains are wired a certain way. Right. Right. Even if you're not explicitly exploring it from that perspective, as opposed to the, the climate and culture of the of the classroom and stuff like that. Right. And so the, the idea is that you can't really have inclusive, excellent teaching if you're if you're not building some of these things into your teaching, mm -hmm. no matter how explicitly it is or not. But the, the program takes you through the six dimensions as six modules, which are meant to take about the same amount of time as a class would, like mm -hmm. a, a, like a uh, about six hours, three to six hours, depending on the amount of content in them. And so as you're going through it, you're creating artifacts, different documents that have you sort of explore within that dimension how that would apply to your teaching. Um, mm -hmm. And so you're building your teaching portfolio across this program while also building different specialized drafts of your teaching philosophy. So for instance, in the one about evidence-based pedagogy, we have you work on a statement about how you use instructional technology. And in the classroom climate and culture one, it's a what we might call a diversity statement. And so after creating those successive drafts, then you create a draft of your teaching philosophy that goes into the portfolio. And so the goal is that you walk away from this program with something that would be suitable as the start of something to hand in for a teaching award, for instance, or also for a PhD application, for mm -hmm. instance, or mm -hmm. if you're a PhD student for a job application. Sure. It is designed, whether you're currently teaching or not, to be applicable to you, if, as long as you have an interest in college right. teaching. Right. To, it, to complete it, you also have to take other workshops uh, through the center, which, right. which basically... I think of it as a, a jumpstart on how to just conceptualize professional development, because mm -hmm. I think that's another sort of threshold for people moving from undergrad to graduate school is realizing that not all of your education is going to be in formalized classroom settings. Right. No, that's a very good point. And then and speaking of classroom settings, there's a second asynchronous experience, which is specifically about course design, which is a little more what we've certainly talked about a lot on this podcast, but it, it hones a little closer to it's based on a program that has existed longer. I right. think within the center and stuff like that. So that, that program is called Course Design for Future Faculty, and it has been historically called Instructional Design for Future Faculty. IDFF was the acronym. And so that was, I think, 20... It was a while ago, yeah. I, I think yeah. it was 2015 or 2016, the first time that ran, and that, that yeah. was developed by Julie McFan as the graduate student version of another program called Design Your Course. And yes. so that introduces participants to the principles of backward design, which... The short version is 
rather than starting with a textbook, start with what do you want the students to learn? What do you want students to get out of the course? And then going back from there and developing objectives and then figuring out what text and what assessments mm -hmm. match up with that. And mm -hmm. so that one has been going a lot longer than the, the prereq for it. And right. we've had a lot of success stories with that one. I took it actually as a grad okay. student because in the English program, you have to teach a course that you've designed as one of the comprehensive exams. And so oh, I, I designed my game and studies class in mm -hmm. that program. And we've had really good luck with participants in that program actually becoming teaching award winners. And so mm -hmm. that program used to be a summer cohort, but we we, to make it more equitable and accessible to mm -hmm. people, we, that's why we've switched to an asynchronous format. But both of these asynchronous experiences have check-in points with me or one of the incoming graduate assistants we right. have in the programming team. And so right. it's asynchronous, but not you're not left to your own devices. Uh, we, we, we check in, we make right. sure you're getting the support you need to right. finish. And then really quickly, if you're a graduate student listening to this, but you're not the instructor of record for a course, we do offer another program that you're starting up, I think, this fall. Right. So we sort of piloted that this spring. It is effective tutoring practices. Um, and so basically, it's using a text called the Master Tutor, which is from the Cambridge Stratford Study Skills Institute. And it walks you through tutoring as a, a process that has, you know, several evidence-based practices and offers several cycles you can go through with different scenarios with two T's. Mm -hmm. um, and this is really geared towards people who are maybe TAing large lectures and so having to do that tutoring work in their office hours or actually working as tutors mm -hmm. um, or people who aren't graduate assistants and just want to learn more about how to get into a gig like that. Right. And that one is not asynchronous. It, it's five weeks of meetings starting, I think, in the second week of the semester. But mm -hmm. you get a copy of the book. Um, but it's mm -hmm. also a way of getting out of your silo as a grad student, too, like getting getting to meet people across campus, which is... We, we had talked about that in the previous episode right. we recorded, that it is so valuable. And I think that's a good point. I haven't often thought about the fact that grad students often see like grad students and don't necessarily have as opportunities right. to do that. I mean, there are there's the teaching and learning symposium and the research symposium. But beyond that... Yeah, and a lot of grad students don't take courses outside their department even, right. mostly because a lot of grad programs don't allow you to do that anyway. Right. Um, and so this is a good way of building up your network Right. Really, I get a little cynical about the term networking, uh, but like, yeah, you know, yeah, you're, 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 yeah. Fi find your people across right, campus. Right. And that's connected really to the, the other thing, uh, which uh -huh. is the future faculty learning community. And right. so we do that every semester. In the fall, typically we do a more generalized book about teaching. In the spring, we do a book that's more specialized, like on a specific issue of teaching. And so it, it's not a book club uh, and there's no reading in reading in advance, but we use a book to develop handouts and, and theme discussions around mm -hmm. a particular issue. And mm -hmm. this semester, it's going to be what inclusive educators do. And so I think the, the theme with all of these programs for grad students is it's a way of getting that vocabulary to be able to talk about teaching in a way that if you're going to a conference or you're in an elevator with Provost Tarhuli right. <laughs> and you want to you talk about teaching, you can, you can have the skills to yeah. do that because, you know, one of the things I found moving from English over to the center is we were thinking about the same things related to teaching, but we were describing them in different ways. Right. And so right. having that ability to, you know, code switch across yes. disciplines. And um, I'm, I'm sure we describe them differently over in communication as well. I'm sure, so, yes. yes. And, you know, I remember they'd bring the English 101 instructors and the uh, COM 110 instructors together. 
for like a breakfast or something mm-hmm. like that, that. That hasn't happened in a few years, but yeah, we had yeah. The, the critical inquiry breakfast. Yeah. I remember that was always a, a big tray of bacon that a lot of people were excited that, that about. That was the most exciting thing, I think, yeah. Uh-huh. And, but otherwise, I think people mainly, I, I look back at on, on it as a bit of a missed opportunity because I think all the comm people sat on one side of the room and all the English I, people I, I think so, sat on yes. the other side of the room. So and The graduate school does offer, like, there's the Graduate Student Advisory Committee is a, a group they have that, that's across campus disciplines, right. and the Graduate Student Association mm-hmm. is across disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put on a lot of social events, but this is just another space sure. to get some of that cross-campus yeah. stuff. And we do also encourage grad students to sign up for other programming at the center, which is generally available to grad students. Mm-hmm. There are some grant-supported programs which are for faculty, like mm-hmm. DART and AIM, for instance. Right. But we want to support grad students uh, here at the center, and so part of that is having specialized programming to meet those needs we were talking about at the sure. beginning. And so that's why some things are just for grad students. Mm -hmm. All right. So, David, as we wrap up here, one final question for you, just to kind of bring it all full circle. Knowing what you know now about graduate student teaching, what's the one thing you wish you would have known when you started doing that? Well, that's a a good question. And I think that I look back at some of my old syllabi, and I was one of those students, like I was talking about at the beginning, who I think I I swung too far on the authoritarian side mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had this need to perform, I am the professor, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't, I don't know if that was helpful in all situations. Like I remember some attendance situations that I could have shown a little more grace on. And so I think what I would have wanted to know a little more explicitly when I started is that it's a learning curve, just like any other thing. Teaching has its own content. Mm-hmm. Teaching has its own knowledge that we don't get just from becoming good in the content we're trying to teach. Like if you're a great biologist or if you're a great writer. That doesn't mean you're a great biology teacher or a great writer. It certainly helps to have that pedagogical content knowledge is what that's called. But you also need pedagogical knowledge that's more general, like best slash evidence-based practices and things Mm -hmm. like that. And so I think I would give myself a little more slack going back and saying that this is your first semester, your second semester teaching you're still learning. I am not a journaler by any means. That's just not my process. Like I've, I've got probably four of these legal tablets like I have in front of me that are mm-hmm. like I go between them and things like that. Right. But I would also just have encouraged myself to make more notes about what's working and what not, what's not working, be a little more systematic about it, because that, that leads to one of our fight dimensions, which is data-informed reflection. Right. So right. data and assessment sound kind of scary, I think, especially if you're in a humanities yeah. or arts yeah. side like like I am. And so being just open, like learning what's working, what's not working, like don't put your head in the sand about that. Like let's let's sometimes we're not going to do it right. And uh-huh. that's a valuable learning experience. Failure is a, a good teacher. Well, David, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me, Jim. And that's all the time we have for this episode of Let's Talk Teaching. Find out more about the programming we offer for graduate students and in general here at the center. Go to our website, prodev, that's P-R-O-D-E-V dot illinoisstate.edu. For David Giovanoli and for all of my colleagues here at the Center for Integrated Professional Development, until we talk again, happy teaching.